So today we're continuing a series that'll go on for another five weeks that John and I are doing on a book that I really like. Uh, it's it's uh, called Nine Things You Simply Must Do to Succeed in Life and Love. It's by Dr. Henry Cloud. He's a Christian psychologist. He also wrote the Boundaries books, which were bestsellers. Um, Although the title is rather lofty um, and maybe a little bit pretentious, Nine Things You Must Do, uh, it actually has a pretty humble premise. He says, you know, there are lots of other things. It's not comprehensive of everything you must do. It's, it's, uh, it's common wisdom. It's things that he observed um, in his extensive practice as a, a psychologist and um, and they're often also collected in the wisdom sayings in the scriptures. We don't often preach on the wisdom sayings because they're oftentimes not included in the lectionary, but wisdom is important. Uh, Jesus also spoke many words of wisdom himself, including in part of the Matthew passage today. One of the reasons I think that they are not in the lectionary so much is that uh, it doesn't necessarily seem like it's really theological. It's lessons and principles that you might have heard in common wisdom. Might be also principles that are taught in other religious traditions. Might be just things you've figured out for yourself. I guess to me, that doesn't make it less of God if God is the creator of life and the one who gives it order Spiritual principles ought to be things that lots of people can see and figure out. So, here we go. Last week we talked about, his first principle was dig it up, which is about, I talked about the parable of the talents and the things that are given to you that are your unique abilities, your talents, uh, your strengths of your personality. These are investments that God has in you, and successful people honor those investments. They respect the gifts that they've been given and place a priority on, on helping to grow and develop and realize them. Today, we're looking at the next two principles that he has listed, and he calls them pull the tooth and play the movie. Jesus' uh, powerful and, and kind of strident teaching in Matthew 18 that Stan shared with us at the beginning of the service talks about stumbling blocks and the ways people can put stumbling blocks in front of others that inhibit their progress and the ways we can even be stumbling blocks unto ourselves. In fact, uh, I actually kind of shudder every time I read uh, that passage in Matthew about stumbling blocks and then, you know, the, the vivid things about if your eye is causing you trouble and getting in your way, pull it out in your arm. If it's uh, causing you trouble, cut it off. It's, it's, it's painful to, even to listen to and I, I don't like to think about it. But the point that's being made is that People who are successful disciples don't hang on to bad stuff for long. They don't let their energy be drained off 
by unresolved problems, bad relationships, things that weigh them down and keep them from fulfilling their personal purpose. And so, he says, pull the tooth. Don't let a toothache hang on for a long time. Make the appointment, get it pulled, or get a cavity filled or whatever. Successful people don't let bad things hang on, draining their energy, taking their mind off the things that are more important, their pers personal purpose, for disciples, obviously, that's shaping our gifts and using them to serve God and, uh, and thereby to live out our purpose in life. Now, on a simple level, uh, this can be as just easily demonstrated almost like spring cleaning. So here, you are so lucky today, two plugs for the rummage sale. If you have a lot of stuff cluttering up your house that is no longer being used, and uh, get rid of it. Clean house. It takes time to dust around all of the things that are cluttering up your space. If you don't use them any longer, repurpose them for mission service, as in the rummage sale. Uh, that's about things. Uh, there can be relationships that uh, are in your life that are just not going anywhere. They're just filling space and time. Uh, I don't know how many of you, now this is dating me, but um, do you ever watch Seinfeld and think, why are these people hanging out together all the time? They, they talk about nothing important. They don't make each other better. They just, it occurred to me one day when I'm watching Seinfeld and then, you know, probably many episodes later, it occurred to me, why am I watching this? <laughs> but we do have people in our lives that, you know, well, they're, they're nice, they're good, but we're, we're, not, um, we're not helping each other move forward. Uh, we're not bringing out the best in each other. Uh, and actually, it seems like this is a small thing, but in, a, in, in the age of being able to have 3,000 Facebook friends or something, this is a serious issue as, as it impacts your time. Um, Gwen and I both were triumphant. We've, we've taken Facebook off our cell phones so we don't spend as much time on it. Things, relationships, activities that are not getting you where you want to go, or just time that we spend. That John Wesley, who I sometimes think must have been such a nag, uh, <laughs> One of the questions that we're asked when we get ordained is, will you never be triflingly employed? Man, that gets me every time, because I trifle here and there. Uh, <laughs> but is your time valued as a precious resource that you, that you dedicate and see as something not to be wasted? So this is people who are successful if, as they define success. Don't allow problems to take off all of their energy. And not only do they not let problems take off their energy, they don't let things that are lesser of importance drain off their energy. 
But I think probably most of us have difficulty with um, letting go of things that have problems. And um, I think partly we have ideas uh, that it's bad to hurt people's feelings or say no, that uh, we're afraid of, of um, what people will think of us if we draw boundaries and um, we're afraid of disapproval. We, we think we need to make everyone happy. So we kind of quiet our, our innate uh, uh, impulse to, to run away from things that are, that are not positive. Sometimes you can feel guilty, um, or maybe we haven't had role models who have helped us see how to deal constructively and work through problems. Maybe we don't have enough confidence to stand up for ourselves. I know that uh, people, I, I think I've had this said to me before, people are sometimes at church a little scared when they see me coming because they, they think I'm gonna ask them to do something, which, yes, I do, <laughs> sometimes. But I wanna tell you, this is absolutely true. I do not want you to say yes to me out of guilt, out of a sense of resentful duty. I don't want you to say yes to me because you think, oh, if I say no, it'll never happen and the world will fall apart. I actually do not like serving with people who are doing so out of guilt, resentment, or fear. So if I ask you to do something, now I may say, pray about it, but I mean pray about it, and you say no, then I think, you know what? If there's a need that genuinely needs to be met that I'm supposed to be filling, and I need help to do that, I will find the right help in the right time. And perhaps if I don't, then it isn't the right time, and I'll try something else. But you will not, you will not defeat or uh, stand in the way of the progress on goals that God is calling me to do if you don't feel it's the right thing for you. So I just want to embolden you to embrace, as part of your discipleship, things that you feel you are well able to do, that don't erase your ability to do other important tasks in your life. I try not to ask parents who are working in jobs to do committee work because your most important work is already quite absorbing. What we're doing should fit well and shouldn't be something that is a cause of resentment, guilt, or uh, just dutiful obligation. Two skills that are important to learn then about how to, how to figure out how to negotiate facing problems and moving past them. It's the ability to confront and resolve things that are negative quickly, lovingly, in a way that you are not ashamed of yourself and undercut yourself the next time, 
and effectively, and an ability to let go of things that are not resolvable. Sometimes, uh, letting go of things that are not resolvable means that we, we may have to have a relationship with someone we have an issue we can't resolve. It may mean that we need to figure out how to come to peace with the limitations of that relationship. It will not yield all that we want. How can we still have to have that? How can we be at peace that way? It's interesting to me that um, the uh, protocol that was issued by the United Methodist Church uh, leaders who came together um, with a mediator not too long ago, and that's the subject of the meeting next week, Really, to me, for the first time in a long time, I felt a little bit of hope about it. I felt a little bit of hope about the future of the structure of our connectional system. Uh, I felt that it was hopeful because it actually acknowledged that we have tried and tried diligently and long to resolve a problem, a disagreement. We have made our best cases to one another. We have tried to reach out to one another. And we have reached an impasse. Rather than continuing to pump more and more energy into trying to make them agree with me, it may be the best thing to say, let's go our separate ways. And we will continue then to be able to put more energy into what it is that I know you want to do and I want to do, which is to make disciples of Jesus for the transformation of the world. And I want to do that for all people without fear of being stopped, put on trial, etc. I also want to know that young people who are LGBT, who feel a call to ordain ministry, can serve with openness, with affirmation, and their gifts can be for the benefit of the church. I want to know that this place can openly, many places, celebrate the coming together of people in love and commitment to marriage. I want to move on, and many others do too. That is not a bad thing. It is what it is, a realistic assessment after trying to fix something and then saying, any more working on this particular route is draining our energy and taking it from critical other things. So pull the tooth is about moving on and fixing what can be fixed. Sometimes fixing what can be fixed means knowing when you need to call for other help. 
Uh, by the way, I can only do a little bit in the book, and I really do think it's a good book, and if you get it, I don't think you'll be disappointed. The third principle is play the movie. Play the movie, as Wally was kind of talking about, is about thinking uh, about the long-term consequences of any actions that we contemplate. And we can play the movie out a couple different ways. We can play the movie out if we see the uh, possible consequences of an action that we take. We also can play a movie out if we think about the possible consequences of actions that we don't take. So a woman, uh, he talks in the book about a woman who came to him and said, you know, I've always wanted to be a lawyer. All my life I wanted to be a lawyer, but um, I'm working in, in finance and um, I'm, uh, I'm getting older and I, I'm never going to do, and he says, do you like your job? No, I hate it. Um, well, why don't you go to law school? Well, it'll take three years. I just don't, I, that's just too long. And he says, you know what, play out, play out the scenario of the movie. You are still, in three years, are you going to like the job that you're doing anymore? No, pretty sure not. You're going to have lived those three years why not use them building towards something that really is your passion, that really is where your gifts are? Play the movie. Jesus talks about not putting a stumbling block in the way of children. And I think it is particularly important for adults and in their interactions with children to think about the way the consequences of their parenting play out long term. <clears throat> I wanted to... Uh, think of an example in this to share with you, and I just hate it when it happens that the examples I think of that are bad are mine, but I will. Uh, when, um, when my son was, my son's ADHD like I am, so, you know, hard, hard, organizationally challenged, hard to uh, keep focus and things get spread all over the place, go look at my office. <clears throat> he also happened to have allergies to dust and um, so I always wanted to keep his room growing up very, very dust-free, and I dusted it a lot and vacuumed it a lot. And um, when I was a little girl, when I didn't have, every Saturday, I had to stay in my room until it was cleaned up, which sometimes meant I was in my room all day long. <laughs> I'm not kidding. And, um, as a parent, when I was working all week long on Saturdays, I wanted to do some fun things with my kids. I didn't want to make him stay in the room all day long until he got his room cleaned up. So what would I do? And, I, and it's also really hard to dust and vacuum a room that's not picked up. So I always cleaned my son's room for him all the time. Um, and now I have left his wife a challenge. <laughs> I was like, play the movie. But as a parent, you have the opportunity with so many things to play a movie. Am I doing this for my short-term benefit so I don't have to deal with a, an upset child, so I don't have to help them work through something? Or am I thinking about their long-term future and what they need to be developing and skills they need to be building on in their own lives. Play the movie. Now, the book of Proverbs, uh, and John and I, when we read this, we both thought, gosh, this would be a great 
would be a great book for our children to read. Um, but Proverbs was written, uh, you can see the format, those little bumper stickers were written as an advice book to young men. Uh, and so you can find some kind of sexist stuff in, in Proverbs for sure. Uh, but I actually think that there's no age limit for the importance of this play the movie thing. Just this week we had at the retiree ministry uh, gathering, we had someone come in and talk with us about how it is that you proactively think about the changes that you face aging and make choices about the right life setting for your, for your changing you know, health and potentially changing health uh, and maintaining your health. Very, very difficult to do. I mean, it's emotionally difficult. Logically, it's not that hard to think through, but emotionally, it's difficult to think about, I may be facing changes, and how will I be prepared well for them so that I can maintain as much control over the values that are living, and I'm living out um, through many stages. Not easy to do, but playing the movie and thinking about what will it look like once I get on the other side of these decisions, what will it look like if I just don't make the hard decisions or think through the difficult questions? Playing the movie isn't just for kids, it's for everyone. It's one of the things, by the way, that we're doing now as we think about the climate. Let's play the movie on if we don't change our patterns of consumption or energy generation, let's play the movie and what it'll look like for our grandchildren or for our children. Remembering the movie can be part of motivating ourselves on how to change. I wanted to share one final thing that um, he talks about that I think is important. I love positive people. Uh, positive people are, I need to be around positive people because I'm a natural cynic. Uh, but he talks about as you're playing the movie and making assessments about, um, about what's likely to happen, and he says it's important to make a distinction between wishful thinking and actual hope. Um, I thought uh, wishful thinking is filling in all the blanks in the things that might happen and how people might react in the very most positive way. Hopeful thinking looks for signs and confirmation that those blanks might be filled in the right way. Last time when general conference was getting ready to happen and, and many people were thinking that the one church plan was going to pass. I looked around and I thought, well, I wish that would happen, but I don't see any signs that it is going to happen. It doesn't seem very likely to me based on the votes that have been in the past and the organizing I've seen. And, uh, but this time, I actually think there's basis for hope because 
there's been a lot of additional features. There's been an acknowledgement of problem. There's been mediation. There's been a lot of prayer. There have been people doing honest assessments of themselves and the future that they want to see. I think where faith comes into this is that if you believe that God is really alive and at work in the world, no matter how grim your assessment of current circumstances might be, you believe that leaning into doing what is right, whether you see all of the ways that will work out, you take one step at a time and trust that God will be there with you each and every step of the way, one step at a time. May God bless us with a great journey. Amen.